Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, we've been in this series now for the last couple of weeks called Reconciled, and we're looking at what does it mean for us to pursue reconciliation in our relationships when there's conflict, and there always is conflict, right? When we have that happen, how do we walk that road towards reconciliation? How do we restore? And so far, what we've covered is kind of two questions. What is reconciliation, and what is it not? Reconciliation is restoration in relationship, and sometimes we can have reconciliation, but sometimes not. And we notice the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and maybe to define when we're to pursue it and when it's wise not to. So we've kind of answered the what question. And we've also answered the why question. Well, why should we? Why should we go after this reconciliation thing? And it's because we've been reconciled in Christ. God has reconciled us to him. And in that relationship, we're to do that with other people. So that's where we've come so far you probably are now like, okay, yeah, that all sounds good. How do I do it? Right? Like, how do we actually implement all of these kinds of things? Like, what does it look like for us to pursue reconciliation? Because we've been asking you to reflect on your life. Where is there a relationship that maybe there needs to be some reconciliation? You're probably like, okay, how do I get to it? How, how do I reach that moment of like, This is where we're going to walk through something. What's that process? What's that formula to get me from A to B? Well, to answer that question, we actually have to answer another question first. Unfortunately, you're kind of like, how? When's that coming? Well, we've got to answer a key question before we tackle this how idea. And this, this question, I would argue, is way more important than the how. Answering this particular question is going to go so much farther than than laying out a process step by step. This question actually makes reconciliation way more possible. And so what is this question? It's the who question. It's the who question. Who is the kind of person who reconciles well? That is the question that we're going to tackle today. I think sometimes we want to get to the how. We want to, like, what's the process? And we kind of want to microwave ourselves there. But I'll contend with you, that's not the best way to go about it. And here's the reason why I know that. I have children. So if you imagine, like kids, if those of you are parents or or you've interacted with children, put yourself in a conflict between kids. What, What typically happens it's like, okay, you did this, you know, acknowledge that, you did this, okay, now, now say you're sorry. Sorry. And right there, what's happening? They're just going through the motions, right? It's like, okay, I'm supposed to say I'm sorry. Sorry. Check the box. Right? Like, that's, that's what we do as human beings naturally. We just go through the motions. Now, move away from kids, and, and you can probably... Remember a situation where you've been in where an adult has gone through the motions. Or maybe you've gone through the motions. You you hit a moment where there's conflict and and needs to kind of be worked out and and you you talk it out and you you just kind of sense at the end of it like, I'm not sure if that was sincere. Like everything was there. We we, we talked about it. Sorry was said. Forgiveness extended. Like, okay, we're good, but... It just didn't feel like it was all there. It felt kind of forced. 
We just went through the motions. I contend that those kinds of moments, reconciliation actually hasn't arrived. If we're just going through the motions, if we're just walking through a process, we're not actually reconciling if we're just checking boxes. And so what's the difference? Like how do we make that different? How do we not go through the motions? Well, it's the heart level, right? Like a kid, it's like, I'm sorry, you don't really mean it. Like, versus a kid's like, oh man, I really get it, and I'm sorry. It's the heart. It's like, what's going on inside of us? I would contend it's the who question. It has everything to do with what's going on inside here. Now, just to be clear, it is really helpful to help kids walk through the process to learn to say I'm sorry, because eventually they're going to learn that they actually mean it. So there's value in the process, but we want to avoid just going through the motions. And so I think answering the who question is how we get there. So who? Who is the kind of person that reconciles? Or maybe to put it another way, what are the characteristics of a reconciling kind of person? That's what we want to tackle today. So I invite you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at a beautiful passage, it might be familiar to you, in which Paul kind of walks through how we get to these kinds of things. And we're going to look at it through the lens of reconciliation. So if you're kind of getting used to your Bible, um, back here is like, here's my Bible. It's in the, near the back. There's a whole bunch of letters. Use your table of contents. It's a really helpful resource. But we're looking for the book of Philippians, and we're going to be in chapter 2. Now, the words will be on the screen if you'd like to follow along there. So what I want to do is I want to read through it all, and then we'll come back through and highlight a couple of key things. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2. And it's a beautiful passage. So what I want to do is I want to highlight a couple of key elements that are going to help us explore this who question. And to understand this initially, we need to get a key idea, a key element on the table first. And so it's this. It's what Paul starts the whole chapter with. We are united to Christ. 
we're united to Christ. When we put our faith in him, when we begin following him, we're united to him. And this is what Paul starts out with. So back to verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united to Christ. He's assuming this. He's saying, like, this is a true idea if you're a follower of Jesus. And he kind of expands on it by talking about some of these other things. Like, if you have comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit. And that, that phrase there, common sharing, it's the Greek word koinonia. It means fellowship. There's relationship. We're, we're, we're connected to one another. And he's saying that you're connected to Christ. You're connected to the Spirit. Like this is true when we put our faith in Jesus. We're united. We're united to Christ. And this is more than just being kind of connected. Like, hey, we kind of get along with each other. Like this is fully reconciled. We are fully restored in our relationship. And we now are joined together. It's like a marriage. It's like we, we are joined in marriage with one another. Like that's the, the image that Paul's kind of bringing to mind here. And, and, and what he's saying is like this is true for you and Christ. Like what he has done, he has made this a reality for you. You are united to him. You're connected to him. And if this is true, then there's going to be some other things that are true as well. You are now united to one another. Notice the language that Paul's using here. United to Christ, comfort from his love, common sharing in the spirit, tenderness and compassion. These are all relational words that Paul uses to apply to their relationship with one another. And that's what he says next in verse 2. So he's like, if this is all true, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. If you're united to Christ, you're united to your brothers and sisters. And so what Paul is saying here, this unity leads to a kind of relationship. And to go back to the last couple of weeks, what we've been exploring, if you're reconciled with Jesus, we're to be reconciled with one another. These things all go together. And Paul, he's using this image, this connection language to drive home further what he feels like this has got to be true for all of you. He, he uses another image, though, elsewhere. So Romans chapter 12, it's another letter that he writes to the, to the church. And, and he says in this, in chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, for each of us, we all have one body with many members. He's got a hand, a foot, a head, all that kind of stuff. These members do not have the same function. Verse 5. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to the others. See, what he's saying here is like, we're just like a body. Different parts of us, different people. We all come from different walks of life. We are now united as one body. If we're united to Jesus, we're united to one another. That's what he's leveraging. This is the kind of the idea that he's building everything on. We're united to Christ. Now, there's something else that he points to that's really important for us to highlight as we go on exploring this who question. And, it, and it's this idea that this unity changes us. Change comes from being united to Christ. And, and how do we know this? It's, it's the gospel. The gospel, Jesus comes in and, and we're broken people, we're sinful, we go our own way, and he comes in and he dies for us. He restores our relationship to the Lord. 
And he does that by paying with his life. And, and, and now we're different people. We're made new. We can now be reconciled with God. We're united. We are changed. And, and he's calling us to that. He's like, if you're united to Christ, then be different in your relationships with one another. Like that's, that's essentially what he's pointing to. But let me give you an illustration. So uh, a few years ago, my father-in-law made an interesting comment. We were just hanging out at the house, and he just brought this up out of random. He's like, referring to my wife and me, you guys, are, you guys are acting the same now. Like, all the things that you do now, like, you're so similar. And, and he was highlighting, like, mannerisms and the way that we spoke. Like, all of a sudden, he was just noticing, like, you guys act like each other. And that's what happens, Right? You know, if you get married and, and you spend long enough time together, you kind of integrate your lives, you suddenly start to rub off on each other. You start acting the same. You, you'll, you'll say the same kinds of things. Like, this is what happens when you're joined in marriage, right? You act like each other. And, and he was noticing that. It's like when you're, when you're dating, when you're separate, you kind of operate in different But the more you come together, the more you look like each other. I think that's what happens in our relationship with Jesus. We're united to him. We are to become more and more like him. And that's where change comes. We're made different. And that's, that's part of the point. And so change, change is supposed to happen. Like we are to be different because we're united to Christ. Just like a marriage, just like we, we share life with one another, we are, we are rubbing up against Jesus and he is changing us. So change happens from being united to Christ. Paul is building on all of this. So, if that's true, like if we are changed, if we are made different because we're united to Christ, well then what, what kind of change is produced? Like what, what does this look like? How do we know what this picture is? Well, I think we've got to look to the one to whom we're united. And that's what Paul does. So I want you to now jump down to verse 5 in chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. In your relationships, like think about all the other people, have the same mindset as you do with Christ, with Christ Jesus. And what does this look like? Well, verse 6. Jesus Christ, whom being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. See, he's God. He, he, he was, he's from the beginning. He is God himself. But he takes all of that and he says, this is not to be for me. I'm not to just enjoy my privilege, my status, and my power. It's not just for my sake. See, he's God. He's up here. He, he gets all of this. But what does he do with it? He doesn't use it to his own advantage. Verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. See, he's God. He's up here. He has all the power, all the privilege, all the status. He has everything. And what does he do? He makes himself nothing. The Greek word here is kenosis. And it means to pour out, to empty oneself. What Jesus did is he takes all of that privilege, all of that stuff, and he pours out. He sets it aside. He makes himself nothing. He's like, I'm, I'm God. I deserve everything, and I'm going to set all of that aside and get to the place where I deserve nothing. He didn't deny being God. It's not like he changed himself. He just set all of that aside 
and says, I'm not going to leverage it for my own benefit. I make myself nothing. He pours himself out. And he did that by taking the very nature of a servant. He came to serve and he became like us. He became human. Being in the nature of human likeness. Like here he is, God, and he comes down and he becomes like us. He comes to meet us right where we are. And this is the picture. Like Jesus is coming down to meet us where we are. And this is, this is the movement of reconciliation. He's coming towards us. We are estranged. We're far away. What does he do? He comes towards us by pouring out his life. But it doesn't just stop there. Verse 8. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Again, here's that, that giving over, that pouring out, that emptying himself. He became obedient to death. Not only did he become human and meet us right where we are, he went farther than that. He submitted himself to death. He gave up the very life that he just took on. He laid it down. He gave of himself for us. And he died on a cross. This is the picture. Jesus coming down by humbling himself, emptying himself, coming to meet us where we are. And what does God do with that? Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus comes down, he lays down his life, he gives it up over to death. And what does God do? He exalts him, he brings him back up. And said, this, this one models it. This one shows us what the pattern is. This is how life works best. By laying your life down, giving up all that you have for the benefit of other people. This is what Christ came to do. He came to give his life for us and God exalts it. God said, this is the pattern. This is the way that life should work. So what we see here is that Christ he humbled himself for our sake. He emptied himself. He poured out his life, all of his power, all of his privilege, anything that he had, he leveraged it for us. We were estranged. We wanted to go our own way. We were not right with God. And what does he do? He comes towards us. He goes towards us to be reconciled. And he does that by giving up of his life. This is the pattern that God exalts. See, Christ, he humbled himself for our sake. He came so that we might benefit. We don't think about ourselves, but rather we're to think about others. This is what Christ is modeling. He humbled himself for our sake. And God says this, this is the way it's supposed to work. The Father elevates Jesus and this pattern of living. He comes in and says, this is how life works best. This is how it's supposed to go. We don't look to our own selves, what we want, and, and say, oh, you got to come to me. No, 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 we lay down our lives. We go. We lay down our, all that we have for the sake of other people. This is the pattern. This is the way that life is to go. 
This is what God is elevating. And Paul is picturing this beautifully. This is who Christ is. This is what he's done. This is what he's calling us to do. So back to what we've been talking about with this who question. Like if we're united to Christ and change happens because of that, well, then what are we to be like? Who, who are we to be like? And, and here, Jesus himself captures it. John 13, he's talking to his disciples in the upper room, and here's what he says. As I have loved you, you must love one another. As I have loved you, as I have come to you, as I have given up my life and served, you're to do the same. Because you're united to me. We're connected, we're sharing life, like we're reconciled and, and we're joined together. What does that mean? You look like me. Love as I love. Do it how I'm doing it. Jesus is capturing this idea of we sacrifice and serve one another. That's the picture. That's what we're called to do. We are to be like Jesus and to lay down our lives for one another. So, this is true. For united to him, we're joined together, we're changed because of that. Well, what are we changed into? We're changing the image of Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Here it is. Here's the big idea. Christ leads us to become humble and others-centered. This is it. This is the answer to the who kind of question. If we want to reconcile with one another, what kind of person do we need to be? It's this. We're humble and others-centered. Well, let's, let's see how Paul kind of expounds upon that. So look back with me at verses 3 and 4. So he's already said, like, you're united to Christ, and he's going to get to this picture of who Jesus is. Here's how he describes it. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. See, I think oftentimes especially in reconciliation, we're looking at like, okay, here's how I've been wronged. Here's what's been done to me, and you need to know that. I need to get my way. I need to be proven right. I need to do, I, I. We're thinking about ourselves. Paul's like, no, no, no. That's not how we do this. It's not out of our selfishness. It's not out about thinking about me. It's rather a shift. Just like Jesus, who's taking all that he is and laying it down for somebody else, we in humility are to value others above ourselves. Now, now what is Paul really talking about here? Like value others about, above ourselves. We're going to get to a definition here in just a minute of, of humility. But what he's not saying is that like you should diminish yourself. You should think ill of yourself, like kind of self-deprecating. Like, no, no, no. He's saying think about others more than you. Like value others higher than you. Think about other people first. And how do you do that? Well, verse 4. Look not only to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Think about the other person. Like, what is it that they need? Like, how can I meet them where they are? How do I connect with what's happening for them? The interests of others. That's, that's what he's pointing us to. It's not about self-interest and selfishness. How do I again begin to think about other people? What Paul is pointing to is this humility that Jesus himself models and captures. So I, I want to kind of talk about each of these components briefly here. So the first one, humility. What, what do we really mean when we talk about humility? 
I love this, and I think it was C.S. Lewis who said it, I'm not sure, but I love this turn of phrase. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And we don't think less of ourselves, it's not like, oh, okay, to be humble means like, oh, I'm a terrible person, and like, oh, woe is me, and everybody else is better than me. That is not actually humility. That's still selfishness. It's thinking about me. Maybe thinking about me poorly, but it's still thinking about me. It's, it's like I'm consumed with myself, like, oh, woe is me. And we're almost kind of looking for affirmation, like, therefore, it's all about what can I get from other people. It's not thinking less of ourselves. It's not thinking we're low. And it's, it's true, honest assessment of who we are. But true humility is just not thinking of yourself as much. It's thinking about other people more. It's just being consumed or or aware of what's happening for other people. It's being oriented to them. That, that's true humility. Humility is is an honest assessment of us, but it's it's an outward orientation to other people. So Paul's not calling us to think of yourselves as like terrible and and no good and all that stuff. It's, It's taking an honest assessment of who we are, but rather... It's really just focused about other people. It's about thinking about them. Like that is what Paul is pointing us to because that is what Jesus did. See, he's God and he knows it. He's not denying his divinity. He's not denying like who he is and where he comes from. Like, he doesn't deny that. He just thinks about everyone else more. He's oriented that. He's pouring himself out for the sake of other people. This this is humility. This is what Paul wants us to see. So if we apply it then to reconciliation, if we kind of think about it in those terms, the way humility works is now we're more mindful of the other person. We're, we're beginning to, to see things through their eyes and, and how do I help meet them where they are? Humility leads us to go towards other people. And I would argue humility leads to more fruitful reconciliation. If you go back to the going through the motions thing, like, what is that really about? It's like, well, I'm just checking a box because I want to kind of save face or get through this. And and it's really just self-interested. It's about me. Humility turns us. We think of ourselves less. Like, we're just not concerned about where I am. We're concerned about the relationship. And it produces more fruitful reconciliation. We're able to actually work through things better. And what happens is we're honoring the other person. Not diminishing them, trying to prove ourselves right, but rather we're honoring and meeting them where they are. This, this is what humility can do. And I think it avoids some of the extra damage, the extra baggage, the drama that can come when there's conflict. If we're humble, it's not about spreading it. It's not about like, oh, look at how I've been wounded. Like, if we're humble, it's about restoring the relationship. And we go there quickly and first. Humility. Humility is an essential element, I think, to pursuing honest and fruitful reconciliation. So that's the first one. The second one naturally flows from it. And there's a lot of crossover, but it's this. Others-centered. Other-centered. If we're humble, then we're going to be other-centered. So these two things go hand in hand. But I think humility is more about like what's kind of going on for us and in our interaction. Now, other-centered moves us outward. 
And so here's how I'm defining it. It's thinking about what's best for the other person first. And this is kind of what Paul's saying, right? Verses 3 and 4. It's like not your own interest, but the interests of others. Value others above yourself. Like look to them first. Others-centered. I think when we do this, when we're putting ourselves towards others, when we're focused on other people, that's when we begin to move through reconciliation in a meaningful kind of way. I think that's what Paul is trying to point us to. When we're humble, when we're other-centered, we now can relate the way that Jesus wants us to. So others-centered. It's thinking about what's best for the other person, not what's best for me because we want to be about each other. But imagine if you're having a conversation where you both are doing this, your needs are being met. You both are being honored. Both people are looking out for one another, and now you've got mutual building up, mutual edification. That's the picture that Paul wants us to see. If we're looking out for me, looking out for number one, we're going to get nowhere. But if we are looking out for each other, now we've got relationship that's healthy, flourishing, and appropriate. That's what Paul is trying to point us to. So these two things, humility and other-centeredness, this is what the who looks like. If we want to be reconciled, if we want to pursue this, these are the two characteristics that I want to ask us to cultivate. That's the one thing I'm going to tell you today. Cultivate these two characteristics. If you want to pursue reconciliation, if you want to know how to do it, start by working on these two things. Because if they're present, reconciliation is going to flow. I can give you the, you know, the best process, and the, the scriptures do give us a beautiful process, but like, we can just go through the motions unless we're humble and other-centered. So the call is to cultivate them, to pursue them, and not just when we're in conflict. So here's just a few suggestions or thoughts about how this could look. Yeah, maybe you want to write some of these down, maybe you don't. But here's just a few things that I thought of when I thought about, like, what does it look like to cultivate this? Well, I think number one is putting ourselves in one another's shoes. Like, imagine, what is it like to walk in the other person's shoes for a day? What are the kinds of things that they encounter? What are the kinds of things that they uh, you know, experience on a day-to-day basis. Imagine yourself in their shoes. What are the challenges for them? What is it like to be in their life? What are the kinds of things that, that they experience? When we, when we do that, we're beginning to see with new eyes. We're beginning to see through their eyes. And we're beginning to see through Christ's eyes. And we see differently. I think we can appreciate better what might be happening in the context of reconciliation. So that would be the first thing. Like, picture yourself in another person's shoes. Maybe the second thing is, I'll, I'll suggest is, is James 1.19. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. I think so often in reconciliation, we're self-interested and we want to be heard. We want to be understood. I think the call is to hear and to understand first. Start with understanding the other person. Like go to them, it's like, okay, help me, help me know what it's like for you. And we listen. We listen a lot. We're, we're slow to speak. We're, we're not quick to jump in. We don't want to offer our thoughts. Like we just, tell me more. I want to understand. Because I think when we do that, one, we are modeling the kind of reconciliation, the kind of relationship we want to have. 
And two, we're seeing things accurately. So when we're listening, when we're seeking to understand first, we're honoring the person. We're pursuing the right kind of relationship. And then we can share. Then we can offer where we are the same kind of reciprocal sort of thing. But I think first we need to listen. We need to seek to understand. So be in their shoes. Seek to understand. Listen. The other thing I would suggest is, is kindness. Pursue kindness on a daily basis. Like Again, this can be done apart from reconciliation and apart from conflict. Like, Can we just show kindness? Can we begin to calibrate kindness? So if you just want one place to start, start with your family, your friends, those who are close to you. What's one thing I can do for somebody else today that's kind? When we begin to think along those lines, we're being other-centered. We're thinking about what, what can I do that's meaningful for another person? We're being humble, being other-centered. So pursue some, some measure of kindness. Now all of these things, these, these happen outside of conflict. They're things we work on right now. Regardless of anything else, we can pursue them apart from conflict. Because here's the thing. If we're trying to, like, if it, there's conflict and there's challenge and, and now I'm going to try to be humble, that's really hard. Because <laughs> we're, we're emotional and we're charged up and it's really difficult for us to be able to, tur- to turn off our amygdala and, and, and choose this path. What we need to do is cultivate it apart from conflict when it's easy. When, when the stakes are low, when we can just choose this and do it more naturally, the more we do that, the more it creates a pattern and a habit. So that when it gets tough, when, when we are in conflict, this is who we will be. But even in conflict, I think we can do these kinds of things. We can extend and, and reach out to somebody we can go to them. We're going to be humble. And, and even if you're, you're not practicing this, but you've got a situation, it's like, okay, how can I be humble and other-centered? What can I do to show some kindness in the way that I speak? How can I listen first and seek to understand? How can I picture things in their shoes? These are the kinds of things that will help us navigate reconciliation well. So here's my call to you. Cultivate these two things. Cultivate humility and other-centeredness. When we do, then I think we're going to be able to pursue reconciliation better. So, church family, big idea for today. Christ leads us to become humble humble and other-centered. That's what Paul is pointing us to. And he's answering the who question. So if you want to know how to go about reconciliation, become a kind of person. Become like Jesus. Become humble and other-centered. That, that is where we will see effective reconciliation take place. So next week, we are going to tackle the who, or excuse me, the how. But we're going to do it from this place of who. See, what we want to do is we want to become certain kinds of people. And we want to let that be the driving force. We want to be cultivating these characteristics. Because then, we'll be able to walk through a process in a meaningful and genuine, sincere way. So church family, hear this call. Cultivate these two things because Christ, he leads us to become humble and other-centered.